Ladies and gentlemen, stand cheer for the Bulldog Fans Podcast. Here's your hosts, Matt and Scott, on their way down the tunnel at ANZ Stadium, on their way to the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. Go up as one for Matt and Scott, the NRL Bulldogs Podcast. All right, Scott, this week we had the opportunity to sit down with Steve Allen, the Bulldogs game day announcer, amongst other things as well which we get into during the interview. We had a very enjoyable chat as we talked all things his career and Bulldog history, some of which you may not have known about. We sat down for close to an hour, and we thank Steve for that. So, Scott, what did you take away from the chat? I take away that Steve Allen is a wonderful bloke. He's top-notch, second to none, and also that his photographic memory, he actually taught me a lot about the Bulldogs that I didn't know about. Yeah, I really enjoyed the deep dive into the history that we got into on this and his tips for any budding announcers out there too. I might try to take on a few as well. Yeah, I also took away that how uh, professional he is and how he even dipped into different sports and did some, did some research around announcing. I think it was fantastic. And it just shows a great work ethic that you could take to any job, really. Well, Scott, you started the chat with Steve with this. Hello and welcome to another episode of NRL Bulldogs fans. Today, we actually are joined by a very special guest, announces Bulldogs home games. He does GBS netball, he's done AFL, he's done some A-League, and he's also a sports journal on NBN News. Is there any other jobs you have, Steve? Uh, look, uh, let me get back to you, but uh, I think you've covered all bases. Uh, great job, boys. Great job. <laughs> Is there any time for sleep, Steve? Uh, look, there's plenty of time. Uh, there's a bit of smoke and mirrors. Uh, I've got a pretty good, to be honest, I've got a pretty good work-life balance. Uh, that's always been pretty important that's, to me. That sounds great. Um, well, the whole world's found itself in a bit of a COVID-restricted type of thing going on at the moment. Um, before we get into your career, how's your life been going under the restrictions? Yeah, look, uh, financially, probably you'd say I've been decimated because this is my busiest time. But, you know... I was on the continuous call recently and I said to them that, yeah, I'm not going to complain. I'm doing a few days a week. My wife has been working four days a week. So, uh, you know, we're, we're going okay. And also, uh, you know, I did the uh, NRL nines over in Perth and that money came through like just before we went into self-isolation. So that kind of helped. Uh, but Yeah, so I actually... Um, I feel like this period's really reinforced what's important. So for me, that's family, friends, and health. And we've had lots of lots of beach days. Uh, I got a new surfboard for my birthday, so lots of surfing and uh, plenty of exercise. Sounds good. Are you looking forward to the return of rugby league? Yeah, well, I've just got my fingers crossed that it does return. Like, I've got a feeling that, you know, there may be a second wave or a second outbreak. Um, some of the players have been tested. They've all come back negative, thank goodness. Um, gee, I tell you, hats off to the Warriors. What a sensational franchise that is. Like, at the moment, they're out in uh, Tamworth. There's talk that they might end up being based on the Central Coast where I live. But what they've done to help get the competition back underway, not just now but in the opening few weeks of, of the competition, uh, you know, has just been incredible. So... May 28th, that's our date, isn't it, boys? Yeah, 100%, hopefully it goes, yeah. Uh, so, like you uh, sorry, mentioned, I think the Warriors are now everyone's second favourite team. 
behind, the, of course, the Bulldogs. When did you start <laughs> the Bulldogs? Uh, 1993. I'd moved to, uh, moved to Sydney to work on the radio station 2UW, mm-hmm. and I was playing water polo for Sydney University. Interesting. And yeah, yeah, I love water polo, mm-hmm. and I was also playing AFL for Sydney University because mm-hmm. I, I played high-level AFL. And when I was um, at the pool one night, I was sitting alongside a guy and we were both watching our wives play. And, you know, we just started chatting and we were talking footy. And I said, what do you do? And he he goes, I I play football for the Bulldogs. And turns out the guy beside me was Andrew Patmore. Oh, wow. Paddy Patmore, as as we all know, was a a centre with Canterbury, played with Parramatta as well. I think he also spent some time at... South Sydney, um, fantastic guy, and we, we became good mates. And then after a while, he knew that I worked in radio, and he said, one day I got a phone call. Uh, this is before mobile phones. So <laughs> it's a call, a call on a landline at Sydney, Univer- Sydney University Pool. And he said, mate, do you want to come to Canterbury this week and fill in as the ground announcer? So I've gone, yeah, sounds great. He goes, oh, you've got to meet a few people first. So I went out to Belmore, and the first person I met was Terry Lamb. Ian uh, Schubert was there. Uh, he was coaching reserve grade at the time. Lynn Anderson was at that meeting. And I, I told them a couple of ideas that I had, and pretty much I've been there ever since. So, you know, it's been an incredible journey. What a story that is. It's just, it's not a Bulldogs home game without you. Yeah, thank you, boys. Say that as a big fan. And I love, I don't know, I just always, every time we're at a Souths game at ANZ, we're like, bring in Steve. Just bring him in, eh? Bring him in. (laughs) Get him doing the announcing, please. Good to get a mention there for front of the podcast, Lynn Edison as well. Yeah, Uh, well, (laughs) you know, Lynn at the time was the marketing manager. Uh, Rhonda Garland was also at that meeting. So you're talking about people that have been around the club their their entire life and in my opinion at that time the bulldogs really personified the family club uh you know the folks family were firmly entrenched um yeah billy johnston was there at that time i was maybe a little naive to just how uh how far the family tentacles stretched (laughs) so you know but uh yeah they're great days like i fondly remember 1995. Uh, yeah, I love that team. Uh, at, at the time, I was in Fiji watching the final series, and we got back in time for the grand final. And yeah, what a run! You know, Canterbury in '95, as you guys know, they they beat Brisbane on their way to the final. They beat one of the greatest teams of all time, Canberra. And then Manly were red hot favourites in that grand final, and we all know the Bulldogs. You know, win 17 points to four. <laughs> Terry Lamb, just phenomenal. Uh, what a Jimmy Dimmick, you know, wins a Clive Churchill medal. Just what a side. So, 1993, you started. Yes. What's that? It's 25 years? <laughs> you do the maths, boys. I'm thinking maybe 27. Yeah. 27. There you go. <laughs> no, we just trying to trim a Soldier short. <laughs> do you still get nervous before games? Oh, look, these days, probably the answer is no. Uh, you know, Probably the the main time you get nervous is if you've got any kind of live TV. And so normally for me, that would be around the state of origin or NRL grand final. Having said that, at a Bulldogs home game, you you always you always want to make sure that you know, you're on, on the pulse uh, for the fans because there's a fair chance they know more than, than what we do and you don't want to make any mistakes. 
So I love Bulldogs game day. A lot of a lot of preparation goes into it, but I'd have to say more preparation went in when I started in the 1990s because we didn't have all the technology. So well, when I showed up on game day in, in the 90s, there was no DJ at the ground, so I would take uh, cassettes. Oh, every time, wow. time Daryl Halligan scored a try, uh, he had his own theme song, which was, what a man, what a mighty good man. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, I don't even know who sang that. But, uh, yeah, so I would show up with 30 cassettes and we, we had a couple of theme songs we played. There was Walking the Dog by the Rolling Stones, which, yeah, the fans loved. Uh, there was The Angels, The Dogs Are Talking. And, yeah, so we would rotate those cassettes. And when I say we, it was pretty much me and a set of headphones. So uh, in, in terms of research, I used to, there was no internet. So, you know, I purchased the Bulldog Storybook, uh, you know, which was like a small encyclopedia on the Bulldogs history since 1935. And if I needed to know anything about a player, past or present, yeah, that's that's what I'd rely on, uh, the, the Bulldog Storybook. Plus, there were some people around the club that were, you know, just fantastic that, you know, I probably should mention, like, you know, Peter Moore was a huge influence on me when I first started, particularly just on, I guess, game day etiquette. Some fans might disagree with this, but he used to say to me all the time, he'd say, always be respectful of the opposition. And nowadays, a lot of the feedback I get is that they'll go to a, a rival ground around Sydney somewhere and they just feel like they're uh, disrespected, ostracised, sometimes, you know, some of our most loyal fans, they'll, they'll say that sometimes they're abused at, at rival grounds. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's something I've always been mindful of. And Peter Moore also told me, he would say, always look for who set up the try. You know, Brett Dallas on the wing might score four tries in a match, but who's the forward who beats three defenders, gets an offload away, uh, you know, which a lot of the time you know, through the early 2000s was Sonny. <laughs> you know, he beat three or four players and, and get an offload away. Yeah. So that was something I always look for. And he'd say, always give that player a rap because, you know, sometimes the winger might run to the line without being touched, but there's a forward who did something earlier in the play that created something special for Canterbury. Uh, before I jump on the next question, I want to just quickly jump on what you were saying. I really appreciate i think no one does it better than you when you get like the the modern team like the tolman's the rap when he goes onto the bench and you quickly get out his stats live and he always when you do that the grandstand closest to the uh the interchange bench gets up and has he gets a standing ovation i think you really highlight those players who don't get the rap on tv i think you got so well yeah well I, I certainly try to do that and you know i think our fans are so good that even if i didn't say that yeah they're fully aware of someone that's just putting their heart and soul on the line for the jumper. And, yeah, we've had so many players like that over the years. Like, you know, Tony Grimaldi, you know, prem premiership winner, he comes straight to mind. There's, there's other players like, you know, I love Simon Gillies, and I know he, and he ended up playing some representative football, but, you know, in a phenomenal pack, you know, he's the guy that – he's the tough guy that's getting the job done. Yeah. You know, picking himself up off the ground, uh, you know, just getting to where a play needs to be made. There, there's been so many players like that at Canterbury over the years. Like, what about Andrew Ryan in the 2004 Grand Final when looks like 
looks like the Roosters might score in the final seconds of the match, and somehow he miraculously gets there to break down the play. Like that—that that personifies the bulldog spirit. It's just taking me back at the memory. <laughs> just going back. <laughs> just dropping back. I got a tough one for you, Steve. Are you a Bulldogs fan? Well, I, I am. That, that's the simple answer. But when I was when I was a kid, probably like you guys, you grow up supporting the team that your dad went for or your family went for. So my dad was a Western Suburbs fan and he told us that he played for West. He was a 5'8", but uh, God bless him and uh, I salute him because he's no longer with us, but we we can't find his name anywhere in the records Uh, (laughs) unless he played (laughs) under an alias. Uh, You know, he absolutely loved the Mighty Magpies, so... You know, they were hard to support when you were younger because they weren't that great. But then when when the original JT, Jason Taylor, was there and there was a brilliant Englishman, Lee Crooks, um, also Ellery Hanley was there, there. So, yeah, they had some good years. Never won a premiership while I was supporting them. But then you go back to the Wild West when, you know, they made grand finals and, yeah, they were part of some of the biggest all-in brawls of all time, like when Tommy was there, <laughs> uh, coached by Roy Masters, you know, famous club. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the team we supported. So then my younger brother, he, was, he played for Queensland. He was in the same Queensland under-15 side as Jason Smith. He became a Canterbury fan. And so he came down to a grand final. I think it was... It would have been 19... We went back-to-back in 84, 85. So he was probably at the 84 grand final. So around about that time, I started... Because Western Suburbs were always losing, I probably needed a backup plan. So (laughs) Canterbury Canterbury were the backup plan. And then once I started working for them, of course, you know, how can you not love what the club stood for. Well, I think we might have to do another episode with Steve just based on history. <laughs> I, think, stuff, reckon? I reckon with the history of Steve Allen and the Bulldogs. Go. Do you remember announcing your first Bulldogs game? The, game the very itself. first game. So it's 1993. I remember, I can tell you things about, see, now you're usually in a, sometimes you're in a soundproof booth. Like, so you got your own space. Mm-hmm. I was in a room full of journalists. And <laughs> I do remember... So, yeah, probably the late uh, Peter Fralingos was probably in there, the legendary journalist. And I remember them all looking across because I probably shouted a little more in those days than I do now. Like, I feel like my voice has changed a bit. Like, I'm more in, in control of the voice. But so I do remember all the journalists glancing sideways at me. But, you know, in the, in the early 90s, we were just a sensational team. Like, I feel like, we're, we're probably really unlucky in 94. Uh, you know, there's a knock-on that you guys will remember early in the match mm. that, you know, Paul Osborne goes over and that changes, really sets the tone for that grand final. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, mm. were, we were in the finals every year. We were minor premiers, you know. So we could have come out with more than just one premiership in that decade. But every time you went to Belmore, and this is something that I, I do find, you know, you could not take your eyes off the field. The team was that good that something was going to happen and the atmosphere was really pumping. And I feel like, you know, a few times when I've gone back to Belmore, I've been disappointed where you'll watch the fans and they'll pull their phone out. Like, you know, there's distractions. They're, they're talking among their mates. And you're thinking, you know, 
20 years ago, you couldn't turn and look at some kind of device that you had because you might miss something spectacular that the team did. Nowadays, I feel like maybe that's the society we live in. There are a lot of distractions. Yeah, that's true. There's a lot of distractions. But, um, yeah, that early, the 90s and the early 2000s was a team to watch. Uh, Steve, do you remember the first time you did an NRL finals match, Grand Final Origin? And what yeah, yeah, like? absolutely. So uh, around the Super League period, I got a phone call saying, would you like to come and do uh, the rep season? So they, they actually had a tri-series, which involved New South Wales, Queensland and New Zealand. So I was involved in that. And then later in the year, so it's 1997, they invited me to go to Brisbane to the old QE2 stadium where the Commonwealth Games were held in 1982. And I did the first... Well, I did the only Super League Grand Final. Brisbane played Cronulla that night, and Olivia Newton-John was the the half uh, the pre-match entertainment. So, Brisbane winners against Cronulla. That's 1997. Then, a couple of years later, ANZ Stadium's being built, and I was working for a radio station called 96.1, and they're in the same same building as WSFM, and. I remember a few of the boys around the station said they were working that night at the footy and I thought, wow, what a what a great opportunity. Then, sure enough, I got a call saying, can you come and be the announcer at the first event at, at the stadium? And and that, was, that would be one of the great career highlights. So I went to the rehearsal and I was just blown away by how incredible the stadium was because back then it was configured to to seat over 100,000. So the first game was a double header and I shared the announcing duties with Grant Goldman, who sadly passed away uh, just recently. And yeah, Grant, if, if you don't know him, he was the announcer at Manly for a couple of decades. Yes, yes. But he was also the guy that uh, you, you'd never forget, Grant, because if you ever caught a train in Sydney, this was Grant. The train on platform four goes to Hornsby, Strathfield. <laughs> And central. <laughs> so, you do that well. Uh, there's only well. one Grant Goldman, but uh, we worked together for a couple of years. And that that night, there was a new record set over 100,000. Uh, that year, 1999, I also did my first grand final. Like, so uh, you can't really count the Super League. So, 99 was Melbourne versus St. George Illawarra. There was the famous penalty try mm -hmm, yep, in the. Yep, yep in the southwestern corner. And so Melbourne with the premiership, uh, just their second year in the competition and coached by Chris Anderson. So, you know, that was that was amazing. And then probably one of the highlights with Origin was going to Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane. Because I grew up in Queensland, yeah, I went there as a young boy, might have been 1982. And to go back there and work on the microphone just felt surreal and just such an honour. Lang Park is uh hallowed turf 100 percent. i hope uh we are a bulldogs fan podcast i don't think too many broncos fans are listening <laughs> probably not too many queenslanders <laughs> either but uh <laughs> trust me boys back back in the day you wanted to wear the maroon in any sport growing up in queensland like i was you know like i loved afl i love surf life saving uh love track and field and if you got the chance to pull on the the maroon colors uh you know that that was just everything that you aspire to. You've mentioned a couple of different sports there, Steve. So how do you keep up to date? It's just a, a passion. So did someone say that, you know, if you do something you love, nothing's ever a work day? But I do find, like, 
I'm probably a little bit like a rain man. <laughs> like I'm pretty good with numbers and uh, so there's a lot that's just stored that, you know, I can I can drag out at any any given moment. And the the other thing too is if you're wrong, the key is to say it with confidence. And <laughs> <laughs> no one questioned you too much. Well, you do dwell over that. I've heard Ray Warren talk about that, that, you know, that's his greatest fear is making some kind of mistake and you can be pulled up on it later on. Well, especially now, with uh, we've mentioned mobile devices and all that, people can search yeah. it so quickly on the yeah. internet. With all those different sports yeah. announcing, so what, what's the difference between announcing a netball game, and maybe an ASL game, and a rugby league match? Yeah, look, I, I feel like, well, in terms of game day, netball is actually not sure if you guys have been, but most people will tell you it's it's one of the best game days in Australian sport. So, well, the key factors are it's an indoor venue. So if the Swifts or the Giants are playing at the, the old state sports centre, that holds about 5,000 people. So usually it's a sellout and the place is rocking. If they play at the Kudos Bank Arena, it can hold, I think, over 20,000 fans. Mm -hmm. And, you know, quite a few times they've had 15,000 in there. And, you know, it's predominantly young girls and their mothers. And they're just there to have a fantastic time. And a lot of the activations are all based around, yeah, having fun. There's all these kind of, you know, obviously there's dance cam, but there's bongo cam and everything is just around having a good time. And you know what else? The, the girls that play, they are the best ambassadors. They get paid. I know they've got a salary cap, but they, they're a shining light. They're such good role models. They've always got time for the fans and they're so incredibly talented. And last year, the Swifts won the Suncorp Super Netball, coached by Bryony Akel. And she would be one of the best young coaches or one of the best coaches in Australian sport. Watch what she did with that team. And she's innovative. She will, if something's not working, she will change it virtually immediately uh, to get the right matchup. So, you know, they've been amazing. You've got Julie Fitzgerald coaching the Giants, who's, you know, she is a legendary coach. She's right up there with any coach that we've ever had in terms of success and win-loss ratio. So they're a, they're a pleasure to work for. AFL, as you'd know, they probably don't like the same amount of hype that we do at the Rugby League. There's not a whole lot of announcing or music being played through the quarters. So you've just got a small window of opportunity at quarter time, half time, three quarter time. So... I feel like rugby league as a spectator sport, it's just perfect, isn't it? Like it's it's a great product for TV, uh, probably too good for TV because sometimes it stops all the fans from going. But, you know, the the house is usually rocking during a rugby league game. If, if you stand out, I've done this before, I've been outside ANZ and you can just hear the roar when something happens. Uh, you know, we're so parochial about our teams, we're pretty tribal and, uh, you know, where when they're when they're having a good year, like the bulldog army just come out of the woodwork. All right, we'll switch it up a bit, Steve. What is the best rugby league game oh, you've announced? Oh, that's a great question. That is a fantastic question. Look, it's probably got to be a grand final. Uh, in terms of Canterbury wins, I, I could quickly probably answer that. You know, I think we put a massive score on the Cowboys. Uh, you guys might know the exact score. I think it might have been 60. It was in the 60s, maybe 64. Yeah. And now that 66? was just before the, was that just before the 1995 grand final? But the Bulldogs, they had a marquee uh, at the back of Belmore. 
And so it was a real celebration. I think it might have been the send-off for Terry Lamb his last year, even though he came back and played in 96. You could just sense something was building. And that that was a huge win at Belmore against the Cowboys. You know, one of the for, for our Bulldog fans, 2004. So that's our last grand final. And, uh, you know, their win over the Roosters who... Yeah. You know, I I feel like yeah, I don't know whether I should say it publicly, but they bought half our team afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The old, the old salary sum. Most Herrera, definitely you know, did. Yeah, they, they pick up a Clive Churchill medalist in Big Willie and and the ogre. The ogre goes there. Sonny ends up at the Roosters. Like you know, I, I remember. I remember clearly speaking with Steve Folks back at Belmore after two thousand and four, and I I said, Folksy, do you think we can create a dynasty? And he said, I, I firmly believe we can. And then, you know, a couple of minutes later, all of our boys are over at Bondi. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's, that would be one of the highlights of uh, 2004 because you know, I love that team and I've really loved the Legends of League in the last few years because it's a chance for those boys to have a reunion. And, you know, they almost won three in a row. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, those guys... Yeah. Um, it's, where, it's a period, too, where I had a lot more to do with the footy club. So I used to host a lot of functions. I actually lived in Sydney at the time, so it was pretty easy for me if the club said, can you come come and do something? Like, it was easy for me to be more involved with the footy club. So those guys, now when I see them, they feel like great old mates and we all shared something together uh, in a small way, even though, you know, I might have done it from behind a microphone, but... You know, they're incredible, those guys. Uh, they're so down to earth. They're so talented. Uh, in terms of other matches, I'll give you the answer. Uh, I, th I think seeing Cronulla win for the first time, you know, and just to see what it meant to their fans. So it doesn't matter who you support when you've gone a long time without success. Like, so they hadn't won in 50 years. So so to see what that meant to their fans, that, that was an incredible night at the office. To see the Cowboys in Brisbane, wow, what a grand final. You know, JT with the sideline conversion, it got, bounces off the upright, waved away. Then he slots a field goal like he's the greatest bulldog to ever get away. You know, and he was a real winner. You, you guys would remember, he won numerous uh, lower-grade premierships at Canterbury. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I reckon we probably could have won two yeah. or three more if uh, the great JT... I uh, had a state at Belmore. Could be wrong, but I think he still holds a record oh. in the jersey flag for point score. What, have you got the numbers in front of you? Do you want me to quickly Google it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but um, I don't think anyone's come close. Um, just something you touched on there, you touched on the uh, Cowboys game at Belmore. How does uh, how did that compare with the return to Belmore yeah, game against look, Melbourne? I, I, I am pretty nostalgic about that, you know, mid-90s, late-90s period don't forget, in the early 2000s, I think we went to the showground for a while. So I do feel like, don't forget, in the late 90s, we, we see El Magic, you know, really start to shine in his career. He didn't kick for a few years because Daryl Halligan was super boot. And then El Magic just becomes a cult hero the same way that Dr. George Paponis would have been. Now, that was before my time. But, you know, the Greek community rallied around Dr. George. Uh you know, another young player starts to get some opportunities. That's uh, Matthew Utai. He was behind Gavin Lester. Gavin Lester was the first grade winger and Gavin got injured one week. Matt Utai came in. I think he scored a hat-trick. 
one of the best names, by the way, to say in rugby league, Matthew Utai. <laughs> uh, yes. But, uh, yeah, Utai comes in and, uh, yeah, he scores three tries and I don't think he's ever dropped from first grade ever again and goes on to be a premiership winning player. So, yeah, I am nostalgic about those early years of Belmont. How much uh, research did you do before just a normal game? Uh, look, you've got to be across it, but I feel like the technology now makes it a lot easier. Like, you guys, you, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but sometimes someone will score and you, I've got computers open. You can quickly find out virtually their life story and and slip something in if, if you need to. So, you know, try to be across as much as you can. But nowadays I feel like it's a lot easier than the old days where, you know, you'd spend three or four hours at the library before you went to Belmore <laughs> trying to find old newspapers. There we go. Who is yeah, your favourite Bulldog player? Uh, do you time? want to have a guess? I would say Terry Lamb. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, Bar, I mean, a little tough guy from the western suburbs, burst on the scene in the early 80s. Uh, you know, Peter Jackson, the late Peter Jackson said, if Terry Lamb told everyone to run around the field in the team, uh, actually, I probably shouldn't repeat this story because <laughs> uh, it's a family audience, but basically <laughs> Jacko said they would do anything for Terry Lamb. He was such a leader. Channel 9, you'd hear their commentators say about Jonathan Thurston being the best support player. Barr was by far the best support player of all time. Don't forget, too, he played... He played every game on a kangaroo tour when they were a real tour. So, you know, I'm not sure what, how many in total, but it would have been close to, you know, 25 or 30 games while he was on tour. Every game. So games midweek, then he'd play on the weekend. And he was just so tough. Like, uh, he would get the job done no matter how uh, he had to do it. If you needed someone beside you in the trenches, it's Terry Lamb. Like, wow. Yeah, what a player. Absolute superstar. And 17 seasons, correct me if I'm wrong, but, yeah, it starts in the early 80s and it finishes in 1996. He broke the all-time record. It was held by Jeff Durard. So he finished on 349, and then they found that extra game, which I know Steve Menzies is not happy about because <laughs> Menzies retired on 349 to be equal with Terry Lamb. It's like breaking the Don's record. Like, uh, Menzies didn't want to do that. Then they found that Barr came off the bench and Barr went to 350. So, yeah. Lynn Anderson at the time when he broke that record, she wanted us to play over the PA. Elton John, I'm still standing because Barr's last couple of years, I'm not even sure that he ran much with the team. I think he spent most of his time on the exercise bike and then just came out and got the job done. Just inspirational, um, off the field, humble, fantastic bloke you know great golfer too like i haven't played with him but I, you know i think he's a low marker um and just got universal respect from everyone except except the balmain tigers fans <laughs> what does a normal bulldogs game they look like for steve allen yeah look uh as time's gone on they kind of like to have uh, i mean there's been such a revolving door some great people but you know so a lot of new staff turnover so Sometimes you get people that come to the club that sometimes I wish they got a crash course in the history of the club. But um, game day usually starts with a meeting. 
Um, you can. I'm probably not the biggest fan of meetings, but uh, that's usually how it starts. Sometimes there might be a rehearsal of some sort. Uh, you know, normally they just want to see what it might look like on the big screen, so all the cameras know what what to pick up. And then, you know, for me, the minute the footy starts, that's that's uh, you know when we can get down to business and get cracking. Uh, I used to used to love when we had a few games. Apart from just first grade, uh, you know, you'd be able to see young players coming through. Mm-hmm. So for me, you probably want to hear this. Like, I, I would have Sonny as the best junior that I ever saw come through. I, I felt like he was ready for first grade a year earlier than, than when he first played. He was just unbelievable. He was also quite injury prone back then. Mm-hmm. Next in line out of the best juniors would be Braith and Astor. And now, Braith had huge raps on him, and of course, South Sydney wanted Braith. You know, it was good to see, you know, we saw Big Willie coming through as a young man. At one stage, I think about 13 of the 17 players in 2004, I think they all lived at Bulldog House. You know, they come from everywhere around the country and across the Tasman, and they'd all stay uh, with Peter at Bulldog House, Peter and Marie. Um, you know, just wonderful, wonderful people. You got to see those guys before they played first grade and, you know, they all fulfilled their potential, no doubt about it, every single one of them. Well, you've mentioned a couple of really good uh, sports events uh, that you've covered. What is the most memorable moment in your yeah, sports look, calling career? I possibly say it hasn't career. happened. Uh, you know, if I look back on my career, like I'm really proud of what I've done as the master of ceremonies for the grand finals and, and state of origin. Um, you know, there's been times over the years where uh, Channel 9 have used Ken Sutcliffe and I think they use Cameron Williams, uh, you know, but I did 10 years straight of doing that or actually from 2003 to 2010. But then I felt like, I felt like I did my best two presentations in 2016 and 2017 because as a presenter, you just evolve. I feel like you've become more... I've said this on the Continuous Call team, that if you listen to Ray Warren, if you listen to the way that his voice has matured, it's got better and better and better. Uh, You see that with a lot of recording artists as well. So I feel like I've become better as a presenter. I feel like my voice is better. I've got more knowledge. I'm more in control. So... They're things I'm really proud of. In terms of the best call, hopefully that's still to come because I'd like to be a, a commentator at the Olympics. Like, I, I love track and field. Uh, some of the best, like, sporting moments, I think, particularly in the last 12 months, there was a 400-metre women's race at the World Championships, and it was unbelievable where every runner in the field broke their own national record. There was some... Uh, I'm not sure they broke the... Actually, they... They got the closest to the world record that they have in 30 years. But my favourite race is the 800 that was won by David Radisha at the Olympics where every runner in the field set a new national record. They're the things that really that I get excited about. Uh, I love kayaking. I've been in that sport. Uh, my son and my daughter play water polo at a really high level. So I'd love to call water polo at the Olympics in years to come. So, yeah, I'd, that's the way I'd answer it. Well, that's massive because you've done so many great moments. So uh, you're still reaching up very high. We've got a question from a fan of the podcast. Let's get, <laughs> we've got a, who is it? We've got a listener, Andrew, who says, do you have a spare seat at AMZ so he can watch the Mastro in action? Look, uh, you know, my people would have to speak to the Bulldogs people. I'm sure we can arrange that. Absolutely. But I said to Matthew before we recorded this that if you did have a spare seat, 
I reckon we go first. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, you know, and like at a Bulldogs game, it's pretty easy. Some of the big nights, like uh, that's a real eye-opener because everything is time to the second. Uh, we've got that steers us around on game night, but on those really big nights, like uh, you would be amazed uh, how that works, particularly a grand final where, you know, there's a meeting like, uh, you know, kind of, 12 hours before you see the presentation, everyone's on site getting ready for, you know, three huge grand finals. Uh, so the Interstate Cup, the the NRLW, uh, which has just been fantastic in the last few years, and then the main game, you know, so those, those nights are absolutely huge. What's your best advice for people who want to get into the announcing? Yeah, career? another good question. You guys, you guys are on fire. I would say, and I said this I said this when I won an Australian Radio Award. In passion combined, yeah, it's the perfect storm. So, you know, you've got to know, you can't bluff your way through. You've got to know rugby league inside out. You've probably got to learn a lot about the players. Like sometimes I'm guilty of not knowing enough about some of the junior players. And that's just a byproduct of not seeing them. Yeah, you know, sometimes they're playing at different fields around Sydney and we don't get to see them at ANZ too often. Uh, but, yeah, I love junior rugby league. I really, I've got a passion for, like I said, to be able to see those young players before they burst on the scene, you feel like you're part of their story that, you know, and I could rattle off, you know, probably 100 players that I've seen. So, yeah, do your research. Uh, love what you're doing. Uh, voice, is, voice is important, but if you've got energy, that's a really crucial aspect in my opinion as well. So bring the energy, bring the knowledge. Awesome advice. I really appreciate it. Do you do any other events like ceremonies or weddings in your spare time? Uh, yeah, like I, I host a lot of awards, those kind of nights. Uh, I find a lot of Bulldog fans want me to do like a message for their phone, like, uh, you know, hi, you've called God. He's not available right now. But he'll be at ANZ one day walking down the tunnel when Canterbury take out the Premier, you know, <laughs> things like that. So That's fantastic. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, stand and cheer for Scott, <laughs> who's on his way to the microphone. <laughs> this, is, this is heaven. Yeah, so oh, actually there's probably a few fans um, and members that want to know the, the stand and cheer that I've used. I actually stole that from the NBA. So I think it might have been the Houston Rockets. And it might have been when Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon was playing there. And I heard the announcer, like the stadium was blacked out. Then a spotlight came on and the announcer said, uh, Houston fans, stand and cheer for your team. And, uh, you know, so uh, there's plagiarism everywhere. But, uh, yeah, so that's where that came from. I must say, though, just before <laughs> we just continue, the uh, stand and cheer, I've been to... Plenty of games being a massive rugby league fan. I don't think anyone catches the crowd like you do, Steve, and make the <laughs> as clear. Uh, but I've been to well, Panthers games well, and everything in between, and just you catch it better. I reckon you've, you know, I don't know, just you pull the crowd together and make sure they do that. I've seen times when announcers have said that and nothing's really happened. Well, I guess, uh, you know, just back to advice to give to people if they're, if they're thinking about in the announcing business, like, one thing is I do, and I think it might be from being a Queenslander, I do speak very slowly. So slowly, clear, concise, uh, commanding. Now, now commanding's, uh, you know, that's crucial as well. And I kind of study this because I have a business where I coach people on their public speaking. So I've got a real passion for uh, seeing people improve as communicators. Um, just an, on another note, I will say that 
One thing I'm pretty proud of is that I, apart from stand and cheer, I haven't copied anyone on anything because I didn't grow up. Because I didn't grow up in Sydney, we had the Gold Coast Seagulls in the National Rugby League, but I only went to watch them once or twice. And uh, I don't feel like I ever sat there and thought, "Hey, I want to do that job, and I want to be just like the guy that's doing it." So. I didn't have anyone that I aspired to be like. Probably the main thing I'd say is I went to some Sydney Kings matches, mm-hmm. and this is when this is when the Kings they were the hottest ticket in town. So it was the early 1990s. They had a guy called Dwayne McLean, the uh, the D Train, as they called him. Uh, Man Mountain was there. Dean Utoff, Rodney O was on the mic. So we've all heard Rodney like. His voice is unbelievable. And uh, there's a guy from the radio station that I worked at, 2UW, a guy called Cole Mooney. And that's maybe the first time where I sat there and I thought, you know what? I reckon I could do this. Uh, So if I got any inspiration, it was maybe from the whole package that the Sydney Kings put together. And yeah, it was really, it was a really cool night. Like back then, I was there as a fan. Uh, Whereas probably for the last 25 years, like... Sometimes I, if I get the chance, I go out and sit in the crowd for a few minutes to remind myself what it's like to be a member or a fan because, you know, you can never forget that someone might be at the game for the first time ever, you know. So even if we feel like it's, you know, not the most exciting night or the most exciting game, someone could walk away from a Bulldogs match and go, they've had the night of their life because they've seen Canterbury for the first time. So I try to be mindful of that. And I've even done that on big nights at the footy where I might get a little 15-minute window where I'll go and sit and see if what the NRL are doing, like if they've got on-field hosts. I'll try to gauge whether I feel like they're cutting through. And sometimes, yeah, it's just my opinion, but sometimes it feels like a fair bit of it's background noise or it's a sideshow until the main event comes on and that's the game. Once walking down the tunnel, you can feel you can feel it yourself as members and fans that suddenly there's a little metamorphosis that now it's time for the main event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you mentioned yeah, the business yeah, there. Yeah, so that, I uh, set that up a few words? probably about three years ago, but I really started that business because I saw Sam Casiano win a Dally M Award. And when Tahir went to interview him, Sam looked petrified. Now, this is a guy that's 130 kilos and can run through a brick wall. And uh, I just, uh, I thought that night I said, I need to start a business and coach some of the players. So far, so far, I haven't really done too many players. I've worked more with the corporate sector. And, you know, there's a huge demand in every area of life to improve your communication skills. You might never be on the microphone, but every interaction you have in the workplace is you using communication skills. So, you know, I've found uh, it's something I love. I really love coaching. So there you go. If you want to get your public speaking uh, yeah. improving. Yeah, well, I show people Steve some of the best words. examples. But one of the key things is just getting comfortable telling your story. If you can tell your story on a business and personal level, then you're kind of off and running. And if you've got to make any kind of presentations on a regular basis, then you know, if you want to become better at anything in life, you need a coach or a mentor to guide you along. So same with public speaking. You can't expect that if you've got a microphone thrust in front of you when you're man of the match or when you've just won the premiership, if if you haven't been trained, then 
Yeah, you're going to find it really difficult unless you're an absolute natural. Oh, I was just going to just say, how do we get in touch? Yeah, sweet. Well, you're going to ask the question. Your business. That's what's going to be my question, but I think you touched it with Matthew. <laughs> oh, oh, boys, I'm all over the socials. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that that's an area that, like, look at the way that the world's evolved. So you, you've got to be out there. Uh, a lot of it's word of mouth, though. So there's been some great highlights for me in that sector as well, just working with large groups and seeing huge improvement. Tell me, who, who are your favourite players since you've been supporting the club? Straight up, Brent, uh, Brent Sherwin for me. Um, everyone, well, I like it because probably talk too he's much got about the him. best kicking game <laughs> but, yeah, he probably of the modern era. Like, I think he even told me himself at the Legends of League, someone... Someone mentioned that there was one year where he never kicked the ball dead in goal. <laughs> that is that is remarkable. Yeah, I love Shifty. Well, uh, my favourite player would probably of all time be Hasmal Mejri. And yeah. I just love the way... I mean, you saw the 2009 farewell game against the Warriors where 40,000 people broke a record for a normal NRL crowd attendance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For someone to yeah, so... I probably should give you, like, you know, if we're talking L Magic, uh, so... The try converted by number two for the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs, El Magic. Hazem El Masri. Oh, it's goosebump moments. Was, was he Bring really about the Yes. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> and don't, don't forget, he scored yeah. right below where we sit in that <laughs> southwestern corner on grand final night. Mm, yes. Oh, oh yes. look, boys, I, I think right, this has been comprehensive. Anything, uh, like I think you've, you've ticked all the boxes, covered all the bases. Uh, you know, I will say when I first started at Canterbury, there were a couple of old guys that, you know, and I feel like this should happen to everyone that kind of works for the club, uh, plays for the club. They told me about a famous front row that never lost the footy. So it was, uh, someone might correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Eddie Burns, Frank Sponberg, Roy Cacaldi. And, you know, the, we go way back to 35 here and, so the first Canterbury team that won in 38, like this was where there were no, it was unlimited tackle and they, you could never get the ball off Canterbury because their scrum was so good back when they were real scrums. So, yeah, you kind of got a history lesson on the club. And then, you know, I, I had one of my heroes come up to me at the club that was in the 1980 grand final and... He said to me, this was last year, he just said how proud he was of, of what I've done for the club. And, yeah, that was really humbling. It almost brought a tear to my eye. So that 1980 team, they beat Eastern Suburbs 18 points to four. Yeah, they really put Canterbury on the map. So, you know, Canterbury, they were building in the 70s, but then they went in 80, 84, 85, 88, 1995, 2004. You know, we probably should have won a few more along the way. I know... The boys feel like they really missed a chance in 99, but, you know, what a club. You know, they, they've they changed everything for me. Like, the fact that I've worked there for, you know, both my children were born in the time that I've worked there. Uh, I think I've, you know, I've been there for over three decades in total, uh, which it's the longest job I've ever had. And they've really looked after my family. Um, you know, I, I can't thank the club enough for what they've done. In fact, when my daughter was born in 1997, first bunch of flowers to arrive at Royal North Shore Hospital came from Lynn Anderson at Canterbury Bulldogs. Wow. Huge bunch of flowers. Wow, how nice is that? 
Yeah, you know, they're things that you'll never forget. Alrighty, well, thank you so much, uh, Steve, for your time uh, tonight uh, and your insights and all the uh, history that went way back to 1935. How good was that? Uh, uh, yeah, pleasure, boys. Great to be on the show. show.